0: I'm Lauren.
1: And I'm Eric.
0: Over the past year, we've connected dozens of classic Shira episodes to modern progressive issues.
1: But we're not done yet. she She-Ra, She-Ra.
0: In this second season of our show, I'm no longer a newbie to Etheria.
1: This year, we're taking a higher-level view of the characters and issues that face the princess of power.
0: We're as interested as ever in how those issues connect to our current political landscape.
1: So join us as we look back to the 80s and forward to the Netflix reboot of one of our favorite cartoons. This, this is Shira progressive, progressive of, of power. power. Hey everybody, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for laughing during the introduction. Welcome back to she Progressive of Power. We're keeping it. I, again, am Eric.
0: And I'm Lauren. I can't even keep a straight face at the start of the show. This is going to be great.
1: You're you're kind of poised like a news anchor right now, which I like. Like, your hands are clasped in front of you. You're, like, sitting up very straight.
0: Oh, I am um, actually, this is really sad, and I'm sort of embarrassed that you called it out. At my birthday party, someone called me out for having bad posture, and I've been weird about it for, like, days. What? Wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a, that's a rude thing to say to someone on their birthday. Uh, B, I think you have the opposite of bad posture. Do Real quick, do you want to tell people what you did for your birthday party? Because it's awesome.
0: Yeah. So I, uh, and by I, I mean my husband, arranged a sing-along to the entire soundtrack of Hamilton. And so many of the songs had a live band, which was comprised of my friends. And then the ones that didn't have a live band, uh, we had the official... Hamilton's karaoke track.
1: See, that's so impressive to me that the band is the difference between singing along to the CD like in a bar and like a full production. You basically produced a birthday party.
0: I did. Well, uh, I was saying it felt more like an activity and not like a party. But the last time I had a party that was like Let's just drink and dance and have a good time. I got banned from the space where I had the party, so we don't rage out like that anymore.
1: Uh, So real quick, do you want to say your, um, what do you call it, in memoriam before we get to the topic of the show?
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, I came into the studio today feeling rather somber over our homie, the corporation Toys R Us. Uh, (laughs) Rest in peace. Pour one out. To the uh, childhood-forming institution that we will all remember, uh, and maybe our children will never know.
1: I have a whole lot of thoughts about how, um, in some ways, He-Man is this progenitor of us feeling um, emotional towards brands. Like, we are the first generation that can really rebuy our childhood. It's just this mix of, like, capitalism plus, like, identity-based nostalgia. So I think all the, like, emotional tributes to a store are really interesting. But I also, at, like, this visceral level, feel that sadness.
0: Right. It's just a massive tribute to capitalism. <laughs> right. Like, gosh, I sure love <laughs> going there and spending my parents' money.
1: And we're going to have an episode about that maybe next week. But not this week. So this week is kind of a, it's almost like the counterpoint. Last episode, we talked about outer beauty and characters who kind of associate virtue with looking strong and beautiful. This week, we're looking inside, but also outside, because this is the show of beautiful people, as we talked about. Beautiful built people.
0: Everyone is hot, and (laughs) we can't get away from it.
1: And there's a lot of variations uh, in this show on the story of someone has a sadness inside, and they don't feel competent, and then something happens they go on a 22 minute journey to make them feel good about themselves and we have a guest joining us to talk kind of about the intersection of i guess feeling good and taking action to to make your outside feel the way you feel on the inside i don't know that's probably a really uh high-minded way of putting what brian does but brian oh this is brian duff say hi brian hello everyone Brian is a friend of mine. He just launched a new podcast on nerdlogs.com, which we haven't mentioned on the air. That's our new host as well. So Brian has a show called Average Strength. What is Average Strength, Brian? Oh, terrific.
2: It's me and two other fellows who are both strange strength coaches. And the goal of the podcast uh, was to kind of get strength training in the minds of everybody when they start thinking about getting in shape. And just kind of thinking about strength training is something that anyone can do, whether you're, you know, 15 or 75, whether you're a man or a woman, whatever your background is, whether you played sports or you didn't, it's something that could help folks feel better about themselves and and improve their quality of life, increase your mobility, increase your independence. And uh, it's not just the typical uh, uh, jogging with you know down the street when you're trying to get in shape, uh, b- but it isn't uh, difficult, and it's something anyone can pick up and get involved with. So, we talk to all sorts of folks, typically average folks who um you know have had you know good results sticking with stuff, and then also some above average folks. So, yeah, thanks for hosting us.
1: Yeah, oh, you're welcome. Also, thank you, Nerdologs for hosting Lauren and I and our political show. Um. So, uh, past guest Sean Kelly said of Average Strength that it is like the least bro-y uh, strength training podcast that exists, meaning it's not bro at all, which I think is really cool.
2: Oh, that's a really big relief because there were times when I was just like, I hope we never get bro because <laughs> we did talk to some bros, like a couple guys who were, you know, legit bros. But they also had very <laughs> open-minded perspectives and uh, very affable about the whole thing. And in general, pull whole podcast is, is folks who, who want to share what they do yeah. with other people. I know, uh, do you guys follow hockey at all? Not really. Okay. Well, I think the reason that is is because hockey fans don't want other people to like hockey. And it's I've r-
0: felt that. <laughs>
2: okay, good. Yeah, So you know what I'm talking about. It's annoying. And I think that soccer fans are probably just as bad, if not worse, in some ways. So, I mean, those are just dumb sports ev- examples, but there's other things as well. Like when you wear a band's T-shirt and someone's, like, named three of their albums. Like, everyone gets that kind of attitude about stuff, and there's definitely that kind of bro that thinks he's the first bro to – reap what he bros but the truth is is like yeah, yeah i've used that before but um uh material yeah the truth is is that um i do hope i i do i can't attest for everyone we had on there everyone really does want this to be for everyone so
1: thanks thanks john
0: there's uh something sad and comforting about the fact that gatekeeping is everywhere.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that too. It's like a huge problem on the nerd side of the fence, but apparently it exists in the sports world too. Oh yeah, I think it's I think it's everywhere. I think it's
2: people want to protect their expertise, right? Mm-hmm. Like do you remember just a few years ago when folks would tell you like, "Oh, you want to make a video?" Well, you got to get it end- editing software, and you got to get someone to do lighting. It's you got to do all these super things. Super hard. Yeah, exactly. You and know. it's like, I think you know it's the same thing with a lot of industries. And I know technology is kind of leveling the playing field, but a lot of people think like, oh, you want to start lifting weights, you better get like a personal trainer. You know, or like, oh, you want to get into music, you better like I don't know, read a book. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know
1: <laughs> a low like, bar, but still a yeah, bar. <laughs> it's like I don't know. Yeah, uh,
2: you know, oh, you think you like that band? Well, then go to one of their concerts. It's like I don't know.
1: which maybe that kind of speaks to. What we're talking about today, content-wise, a little bit.
2: Yeah,
0: a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, Brian, you have, like, no familiarity with He-Man and she right?
2: Correct. I never really um, got into He-Man, even. The only He-Man I was aware of was the part in Ghostbusters 2 when they show up to do the the party uh, for the kids, and the kids uh, boo them off the stage and demand to get He-Man. <laughs> and I was like, who would want He-Man?
1: Ghostbusters are way cooler. And I didn't even really know what He-Man was. So, Fun fact, one of the episodes today... The writer for that also wrote a Ghostbusters episode with the exact same plot. Can you guess which one? Uh, (laughs) Portrait of Doom. Portrait of Doom. Yes. Yes. Possessed painting, topic of a Ghostbusters episode, as well as a She-Ra episode.
0: Yeah, that took a second, but it's obvious.
1: Yeah. So today we're doing three shows of the many shows that Filmation did about characters who, like I said, feel bad and they need to come to some realization about their own worth somehow. And those three are... Uh, the Laughing Dragon, Portrait of Doom, and Red Knight. Red Knight technically is first chronologically, but I think it adds a wrinkle to the, uh, the plot, so we're going to address it last. So let's start with Laughing Dragon. Are we? you challenging me to quick recaps again, Lauren?
0: Let's Let's switch off. Let's switch back and forth. Okay. So I could talk Laughing Dragon, maybe. Do it. <laughs> laughing Dragon really strikes me because I think one of the... Through lines of these episodes is that Bo is kind of a jerk.
1: Uh huh. But we'll
0: get to that. <laughs>
1: yeah, this almost turned into a deep dive on Bo and his like hyper masculine shitty tendencies.
0: Right. We were doing character deep dives, and were we going to do Bo, we could almost do this trifecta. But anyway, uh, this is early on in the series, Lapping Dragon, and the rebellion is successfully liberating various towns and districts. And even though freedom is like a new and delicious thing to these poor people. Bo is just super bored at this freedom ceremony of this one town, wanders off, finds a well, and through his own sort of arrogance slash clumsy curiosity, starts a terrible fire, which I think wakes up or otherwise stirs a dragon. Uh, The dragon looks huge, looks terrifying, but in a very... um, Cowardly lion way is uh, not confident, very fearful. And the rebellion is like, oh, man, a dragon on our side. This is going to be wonderful. This is going to really turn the tide. But Imp, who has been watching the whole time, informs the horde, this dragon actually sucks. Don't worry (laughs) about it. Uh, And in a moment near the end, the dragon manages to find strength through the power of friendship. And that strength is the strength to light all of his enemies on fire.
1: Lucky. (laughs) Yeah, clearly. So this episode is misnamed because the dragon doesn't laugh at all. Yeah, why
0: is it called that?
1: His name is Sorrowful. He's an emo dragon. And he's never had any friends before. And so the rebellion becomes his friends. And he's kind of the focal point of like he doesn't feel good inside and he needs to find some way to put himself into the world. Well,
0: point, he doesn't even necessarily feel that. He is convinced by others. I think he'd be maybe perfectly content not changing at all.
2: See, I think you're right. That was one thing that was really hard for me to watch was that I didn't think he wanted to do any of these things. And they really kind of pushed him. You know, they really pressured the poor guy.
0: That's kind Um, of a running theme, uh, unfortunately, Mm. in that I bring up poor Cringer from He-Man as this just unwilling battle cat. We do that with our animal companions a lot in this universe, I think.
1: That's true. I didn't think about that. I mean, he does offer of his own volition. Like, he says, I'll never be a real dragon. I'm a joke, a clown, a disgrace. But he doesn't say he wants to become a warrior. That's just kind of, he gets conscripted into this battle. So that's kind of weird. It's almost saying that, like, this militarization is all that gives him value.
0: There's actually a couple of moments in this episode that I thought were perhaps meaner or more aggressive than usual. Cowell says to Bo, You're an accident.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like,
0: whoa. Yeah. Hold on. That's how we treat each other. That's not how we treat each other on
1: this show. <laughs> also like a very kind of that insult has layers, you know what I mean? Yeah. That kids probably didn't pick up on.
0: Oh, I guess I skipped that, um, depending on your read on this episode, a pretty integral character is Castaspella. Castaspella attempts through her magic to give courage to Sorrowful, Uh, but that's one of my big questions about this episode. Was she actually using magic that she actually thought would work, or was it kind of just uh, a ruse the whole time Mm -hmm. hoping he'd find his own confidence? I couldn't tell.
1: I thought it was a ruse.
0: The flowers at the end were, for sure, but the whole thing was...
1: Yeah, it seems like we're supposed to believe she like runs a kingdom and is this super powerful magician, and she casts like a sparkly cloud that does nothing. I kind of feel like, yeah, it, it's intended to be red, is she's not really doing anything. Also, they set her up as paranoid of the dragon, which is pretty interesting, but they don't really explore that. She's not all that welcoming.
0: Until 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 the dragon is useful, then suddenly he can live there forever. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Man, I'm I, we're finding stumbling across all of these like not so great points. What did we like about this episode?
1: I actually, I think there's one other scene we have to address as far as like the shortcomings of the episode. Oh, okay. Which is kind of the cross-dressing oddness.
0: Oh yeah.
1: So Bo, there's kind of a funny scene where, so when they awaken Sorrowful, Bo and and Cowell go hide in this hut, and then him just Sorrowful flailing around knocks the hut into the air. Not on purpose, but everything gets mixed up, and Bo ends up in a woman's dress, and then he goes out to talk to Sorrowful, not realizing he's in a dress, and there's this weird part where Sorrowful, like, says something that kind of questions his... I don't know, strength and Bo's like, but I'm a man and then Sorrowful does like this like paw down like effeminate gesture that's very bizarre.
0: Yeah. I I never felt like Adora was being homophobic or transphobic in any way, but she definitely leans into Bo because Bo is very upset about how this portrays his masculinity. Which is funny because he's the one wearing like an adorable heart across his chest all the time. Mm -hmm. If anyone I thought he should be very secure in his masculinity, frankly.
1: Also, there's that messed up scene right before that where like Adora tries to go transform and Bo grabs her and she's like, no, I don't need protection. He's like, yes, you do. Come in this hut with me. What?
0: What is happening with this character? I I think there's a lot to this episode just being early on in the show. Um, A lot of these characters haven't found their footing yet. And I feel like at this phase of the series, we're experimenting with What's funny and what are our relationships? So I'm trying to forgive it. I don't know if it deserves it.
1: That's fair. I think the actual, like, plight of sorrowful is pretty relatable. Like, I I don't know. I could see as a kid who doesn't have a lot of friends who feels kind of meek, like you would see him and be like, oh, yeah, that's me, you know? Maybe. I don't know. What do you What do you think about that? Like, he has this great inner strength, but he doesn't know how to access it. Does that seem like a good moral? Yeah,
2: I guess. I mean, I also just still can't get over the fact that he doesn't have to be a dragon like that if if his way of being a dragon is like being nice to people and kind of just like hanging out you know that's good too he doesn't have to let things you know uh <laughs> let, let the other people tell him how to be a dragon it's interesting too like i never got the sense of urgency obviously it's a kid's show that like he had to conscript and fight the horde either like it probably would have been fine for everyone if he just um you know, just stayed neutral. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't love that. I was just like, let him be himself.
1: Yeah, I was down on this episode for other reasons, but that also makes me question it. How about you, Lauren? What did you like about it?
0: Well, I will say that the fact that he finds strength because he values friends and he's never had friends before that does strike a similar chord. You know how you saying maybe when I was a kid and I didn't feel that strong and I didn't have a lot of confidence. When I was a kid, I didn't have a lot of friends. I don't know if I'd go so far as to call myself a lonely kid, but I was definitely a bullied kid and I definitely only had one or two people that I really trusted and felt really close to. Uh, and so it's very interesting to kind of reflect on who I would have been as a kid watching this show, and I think I would have been really moved, like, oh, other people are worth fighting for, and you're going to find other people who are worth that someday. I think that could have been motivating if you found that message at the right time in your life.
1: I like that. I'm I'm really
0: trying to reach for that, though, you guys. I'm I'm really (laughs) reaching. I'm
1: sure that's what the writer intended,
2: and sometimes maybe... You know, it takes a little external nudge to kind of get you to reach your potential and accept your abilities and realize yourself a little bit, giving once you get some external encouragement, I suppose.
0: Yeah, you know, I actually think this could apply to your work in a specific way. And that is sometimes it takes other people to see what is good about you or to show you some of the things that are valuable in yourself, to find you know, a friend or a partner or a trainer who really makes you feel like you have had the capability inside yourself all along because they could see it when they met you. I think that's really wonderful. I think we all deserve someone like that. Uh, to your earlier point, I don't know about kind of forcing him to be the dragon stereotype, but the roots are there. There's it, some good stuff.
1: It might be the genre that damns him, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> the fantasy genre in which dragons must be flying and fire breathing. I do want to point out that uh, in contrast it's said in this episode that hordesmen don't have friends and I really was hoping that Scorpia and Catra were like braiding each other's hair and having sleepovers <laughs> and so if hordesmen don't have friends like half of my fan fiction has to go in the garbage <laughs> right now.
1: One of my favorite things you ever said on this show which I don't even think you meant to be funny was in the Huntara episode you're like and then the two horde girls get in their car and follow her around. <laughs> It's like, yep, they're mean girls, whether they know it or not. Sorrowful, listen to me. I need your help. Uh, are you joking? I can't help anybody. I'm a coward.
2: You are not a coward. You just haven't
0: found a reason to have courage.
1: What's the difference? Even cast a spell as magic spells couldn't help me. She didn't have the right magic. You wear the flower of power. Let your love for your friends help you find your courage. My friends? Well, you know, I never had any friends before. So I feel like we've hit this weird string between last week and this week of like episodes that we're not crazy about. And I think that might continue with our next one. Um, I'm just guessing The probably Portrait of Doom did not find a lot of love. In, uh, in the room?
0: Uh, I admit I didn't take a lot of notes on it. And I wouldn't say that that's because it's good or bad. I think <laughs> it's just, a, a, it's very tropey. It's a message that we've seen before.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it really, it essentially has the same moral arc as Sorrowful. So basically this fair is coming. The Twigget Spiritina doesn't know what talent she can exhibit at the fair. She's very in her head about it. Uh, as Lauren said before the show, she would be if if she had to present a talent at a fair. Katra um, shows up dressed as an old crone with cursed paints that are amazing, but also like rend the spirit of the person who they paint and, and trap them in like this almost Dorian Gray type scenario where their life force is stuck in a painting. She makes four members of the rebellion disappear before anyone figures out what's happening. Uh, That's enough for the Horde to be like, oh, well, the Rebellion's weak. We can attack. Doesn't work. The Twigget army, which is two Twiggets, goes and rescues (laughs) the paintings. Everything's fine in the end. Yeah, kind of not much going on in this one. Um, I wanted to do this. You suggested it, but I thought it would be cool to do a season two episode, see if there was anything interesting and new. Not really, right?
0: Yeah, I was surprised by what a standard, like, kids show moral plot this was for being so much later in the series. Um, so many of the especially later episodes get creative and do a lot of world building, and this was a very, like, Saturday morning message for, like, young kid watching cartoons, and that's it. I did notice that Natasha is in this episode. Mm-hmm. I have yet to see her anywhere else, and that's a big problem Uh, Given that it's our only character of color, maybe in this entire world, and she just shows up to get trapped. Correct. immediately.
1: Yes. She's in like two other episodes, but she literally has one or two lines in this one. And it is the first time we have seen an actual person of color in this show.
0: Right. Not a a purple analog for one. Yeah. Heavens.
1: So that was, I was excited to see her and then immediately dismayed that she disappeared (laughs) promptly.
0: Same. (laughs)
2: <laughs> this was the first one I watched, so I was really taking it all in. I, I, uh, there was a lot to catch up on. I, I uh, sorry, ca- no, it's okay. Katra was the was responsible for all this, right? This was her scheme at the beginning. Uh, this was her plan that was kind
0: well, of interestingly. Forward. Okay, that brings up a smart point. It's Katra versus Shadow Weaver,
1: but they are working together, kind of. Yes, yeah. So
0: we did our Shadow Weaver episode recently. And in that episode, we sort of concluded that Shadow Weaver's tragic flaw was impatience. And yet in this episode, she's the one who says, we have to be careful. We have to take them down one at a time. And that might have just been like a canonical error. But I choose to believe that maybe by now she's learned some things about herself, and she's adapting her strategy. Mm -hmm. And that's a very cool bit of world building for sure.
1: True, whereas Catra is super impatient.
0: Right, Catra wants to rush in, and it's her who eventually attacks Bright Moon with the tanks and things. And the lesson there is she might have been able to succeed if she waited a little bit longer and let a couple more rebels get trapped, but she went in, guns blazing.
2: My general observation about Catra is that that is the biggest mismatch between appearance and sound <laughs> that I've ever seen in a, in a cartoon character. I mean,
0: there is Skeletor. Well, yeah.
2: the way she's drawn and then also the way she's voiced are just could not be more opposed.
0: What I say about Catra oh is that her voice early in the season sounds like a cat. But her voice actress just gets progressively more and more off the rails and starts to sound like a screaming parrot. And nobody ever corrects her. So by the time we're here, her voice is just nonsense. I mean, further even off from where it started.
1: That's something I never think about with people just coming in is like, Brian, this show has like literally four voice actors, right? So some of these voices are really like off the rails completely. And I forget, as having lived with this for 30 years, how completely bizarre it must seem to someone coming from, like, modern, sophisticated cartoons.
2: Yeah, another sound effect that I noticed um, were the pretty much every, like, uh, laser or explosion were the same as the ones used in Transformers. So, I mean, that oh, was cool.
1: Yeah. yeah, you're right. You were right about that. Uh, fun, cool thing in this episode for Lauren and I, did you notice Madame Rass's boyfriend for a split second at the end? Frit was there. Uh, he, he, apparently, according to our Bible, he was supposed to be building a statue of She-Ra for the spring festival.
0: Oh, did he end up on the cutting room floor? He did. Dang.
1: I know.
2: Now, to it. Her magic paints will be the end of She-Ra and those miserable rebels.
0: Well, you did ask me, uh, off mic, and I think we should all answer the question. Mm. What would be your special talent at the festival?
1: I mean, I'd probably have to play some Bruce. (laughs) Bust out that Thunder Road.
0: That uh, Ethereum rock star that they'll all be familiar with, for sure.
1: (laughs) He's more forward-thinking than some of that crap Bo plays on his (laughs)
0: lute. I I know that's not what the show is going for. I know the show wants us to think Bo is a very talented musician, but my headcanon is that he's terrible and everyone is too nice to say anything.
1: (laughs) Everyone pretends, yeah. We're just
0: like a really supportive crew and we just tell him to live his
1: dreams, you know? (laughs) Sure. Plus, he's probably the only musician in camp, so it's like, well, it's this or nothing.
2: (laughs) I'd like to do a very kind of um, biting roast of every single character there. Just kind of... (laughs) Just kind of give them the business real quick. <laughs> see who laughs. See who, like, you know, goes over their head. See who gets offended. Just oh, want to see man. what
1: happens. I don't know if the roast has made it there yet. It's you would a be a pioneer. Material. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I think um, it would be one of two things. It would either be just, like, a, a really well-memorized stand-up comedy routine or... To get a little more artistic, considering we apparently can just stand there and watch someone paint, I would say maybe give some giving someone a makeover. Like, it would be really cool to be like, this is how the person looks before. Now, after all this makeup I do, and maybe a little, like, verbal confidence boosting a la Queer Eye, this person looks fantastic. Ooh,
2: makeovers would be good. Yeah. See, I thought that at first I was kind of thrown a little bit because it was actually interesting to watch that person paint. Uh, because of the way the paint just kind of <laughs> you had a paintbrush and you just kind of moved it around and it perfectly captured it. Yeah, image. Yeah, her talent show yeah. was done
1: in 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, for sure, like if you were a Twigget and you did makeovers, they would be like, Lauren, you're the best. We can't live without you. And then you'd have an episode of your own emotional journey later. <laughs> I was going to
0: say, when we just started this episode, and we were talking about strength training. I was like, this is giving me anxiety because I believe I'm the physically weakest person in the world to the point where it's embarrassing. And I almost said, maybe I, too, will go through my own journey
2: by the end of this episode.
1: <laughs> I mean, have you met Brian? Yeah, Here he's,
2: we are. Yeah. I can't sing. I can't dance or tell stories or, or anything. I'm going to be a big dud at the festival.
1: Well? Let's move on to the third one, which I think is... It was definitely my favorite of the three episodes. I actually really like this one. And I think it has the most interesting kind of moral things going on. The Rebels are traveling to a Rebels' Fair, which is a very kind of bold proclamation to make when you are a persecuted political party and you're also outside the kingdom that whose magic protects you. But that's fine. Rebels' Fair, every year there's like a big contest. Uh, Bo has won this contest basically every year but then this mysterious stranger wearing red the red knight shows up and kind of just blows everyone away with his prowess he wins all of these contests making bo feel really bad bo has a sad and so he goes and sulks goes back to the woods but uh the horde big surprise learns about (laughs) this rebels fair And Hordak uses his new invention, the laser bubble blaster, to capture all of, like, Queen Angela, who is there in Glimmer, and even the Red Knight, and only Bo's perfect shot can save the Rebels. And in the end, the Red Knight and Bo settle their hyper-masculine differences and become friends.
0: Man, talk about Toys R Us, though. A laser bubble gun has, like, 80s toy written all the heck over it. I would would have bought that right away. I don't think they ever made that either. That's not a thing.
1: I think what made it so funny for me was the gravity with which Hordak says it. My new invention, the laser bubble blaster.
0: (laughs) Yeah, all right, buddy.
1: Bubble. That's that's not a menacing word. (laughs) Also,
0: Uh, uh, Cowl just bringing the sick burns again in this episode (laughs) by saying, I only laugh at funny
1: things. (laughs) Oh, wow.
0: Mean as heck.
2: I really was intrigued by the Red Knight and who he could possibly be, and I was very disappointed they did not resolve this in the episode. (laughs) So now I guess I won't know. Someone kept saying to him, I recognize your voice. Your voice sounds familiar. And I expected him to take off his, what are those called? Like the Knight's helmets, you know? He's got like the visor down and everything. Never did.
1: Yeah. Brian brings up an important point, which is the Red Knight's identity it's hinted at and never revealed, and there are fan theories about who it is. I have my own theories, but I actually but thought it's it was
0: never actually revealed.
1: Never in the show. Oh, oh!
0: I read a spoiler somewhere, but it must have been fake. It must have been a fan theory. Mm-hmm.
1: I actually thought that was kind of cool, but it would have—it didn't make sense because they really wanted you to know that Angela knew who this was.
0: Yeah. So that's one of this show's great flaws, in my opinion, is we see a lot of characters go through great personal journeys or have these big revelations, and I always want to revisit them and see, like, where are they now? And sometimes you get that episode, but more often than not, you don't. I've asked on this show multiple times, hey, does so-and-so ever come back? And Eric's like, no, no, he doesn't.
1: Yeah, there's not really a strong sense of continuity for the most part, which, again, in a way, like, I like that the Red Knight is kind of a troll, but it probably would have been better to pay this off at some point. He had
2: a few tricks up his sleeve, bringing his, uh, what's it called? It's not a spear, a but lance. his lance. His lance, oh, I should have known, to the race, and then every single event he benefited from having a lance. <laughs> yeah. And I was surprised that Bo, who, that was his main event, correct? It did yep.
0: not bring a weapon or that was, in fact, allowed. Yeah.
2: Consider that was possibly an an advantage because he looks at the red knight at the the starting line like, you fool, that'll slow you down.
1: (laughs) Nope, helped every event. Yeah, I can't believe no one's like, hey, maybe you're cheating by bringing this tool that makes every part of this easier for you.
0: Yeah, I had trouble getting anything out of this episode because my husband actually sat down and watched this one with me, which is rare.
2: He was also intimidated by the red knight. <laughs> he was
0: super intimidated stopped watching.
2: But he was just like, "This guy, who is he? He makes me feel bad about myself." You can marry him if you want.
0: <laughs> I mean, uh, file for divorce now. This is really a lot. Um, so the lance came up, and I was like, "Wow, he's allowed to just bring a tool with him that helps every phase of this race." Yeah. And Clayton's response was, "Well, he's also got to be wearing like eighty pounds of armor, so maybe he breaks." even but the armor is not taken into account like he doesn't sink into the river or anything uh,
1: this episode also like rings drama out of kind of innocuous situations like a runaway horse cart that's like a that's two a long minute scene. yeah it's like a two minute action sequence and i kind of found it compelling but i think it was just the music like yeah stop that cart like this is cool <laughs> but yeah kind of the interesting twist on our moral is that so Bo kind of goes through two versions of this interior feeling bad because he definitely does feel less than um, when the red knight shows him up but kind of that comes from his own gross overconfidence at first which I think is interesting so it it almost is like twisting this like sometimes you feel bad about yourself but every once in a while it's because like you are not being realistic about who you are and I kind of liked that.
0: Yeah, that was something that I took away from this episode as well. So, first of all, I wanted to point out that we had a moment we saw in another episode with She-Ra, I think Enemy With My Face, in which we see one of our hero characters going, for the first time I lost and I have to confront that I don't know how to deal with it. Uh, It happened with She-Ra in another episode, and you get to see kind of how each of them deals with that feeling. Uh, But... He's given this pep talk by she that's saying, as long as you did your best, right, you, you, that was wonderful. You should feel great for doing your best. But knowing that there are things in the world like personal trainers who can help you with your body... And books that can help expand your mind. Like, is that still good advice if someone has opted out of improving themselves because they're arrogant?
2: See, that's a good question. And to me, what struck a chord was the idea that there's always a bigger fish, right? Like, you know, you might be the big fish in your pond, but if you're in another pond, there's probably even a bigger fish and everything. And there is something to be said about... Uh, not getting your worth because you're better than everybody around you, right? Just because you won the race that you set up for yourself that has, like, all these <laughs> stupid events. Um, you should remember that someone else could possibly better be better than you. And, and the idea that, yeah, you know what? Like, you should, you should just try to do a good job for your own sake and not just to beat other people. And if you do that, then you should be happy with the result.
1: See, that's what I liked about the ending is Bo seems to, like, learn that it's okay to lose, which I think is, like, a really important lesson. That like you won't always be the best, but you can still be okay with that.
0: Well, absolutely. And he also learns, which I think it's where Lookie takes it as well, that everyone may not be the best at something, but they might be the best at something else. And it's not just about being upset that you lost and learning how to lose. There's also a journey to figure out what you're good at or to push yourself to be good at something. And so whereas in our last episode we saw our poor twigget friend sort of buy a talent, I get the impression that when it comes to archery, Bo probably has practiced a lot, and he has a lot of new equipment that he tries out all the time, and he's really working on his craft. And so he discovers this thing that I'm passionate about and have worked on is what I'm best at, Uh, and the Red Knight is the best with a lance.
1: (laughs) True. And he runs really fast. One other thing I like about this episode, not really related to the moral, but, like, there's a lot of characters in it, which I thought was cool. Like, a bunch of different horde generals, most of the, like, rebellion higher-ups. It just, it seemed like a, like, world buildy episode. And I think it would have been had the Red Knight thread been picked up on at any point.
0: So what is the fan theory or some of the popular fan theories that you've read? Because the one I read was that he was Angela's husband, And I think that's probably in the vein of what they were going for. But it could also be her son. And in fact, I would buy her son more because she also has um, Glimmer. And I feel like you'd recognize your husband's voice. Like maybe a young son who then went through puberty and sounds different. That sort of weird familiarity Mm. would make more sense.
1: I like that. A lot of people were thinking, yeah, it was um, her husband who then comes back in a later episode called Micah of Bright Moon. So that made people think, well, it's not him because he's been in a Horde prison for years. But, you know, those episodes could have been produced out of order or the writers just dropped the ball somewhere. I don't know. I definitely think this episode wants you to think husband. But I like this son idea, too. I also thought maybe it's Seahawk.
0: It sounded like Seahawk. Yeah.
1: But Seahawk I is want a pirate. To be
0: Seahawk because I'm not his biggest fan. <laughs> Get true. out of here, Seahawk.
1: Yeah, it's someone Angela knows who's really good at pretty much everything. All, so. I mean
0: physical things. You yeah. don't see him do a crossword puzzle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, well, that is this episode's biggest failing really.
2: But then he says a couple times that he can't reveal his identity until the horde is defeated, correct? Yeah. yeah. So how does that clue fit into anything?
0: <sighs> I think I would still bank on someone in Angela's family. Based on the fact that the Horde was really excited that Angela had moved out of the protection of Bright Moon and she was like immediately ripe to be a hostage. Like, let's go get her. Let's go take her out. They clearly want this family gone. And so if you declare yourself, I too am a part of this clan, you put a pretty big target on your back. But to kind of debunk that for myself... I think he does just by being a rebel. So, what difference does it make?
1: The weirdest theory I read is that he's King Randor, who sometimes comes to Ethereum on the sly to hang out with his daughter. I don't buy that at all. But.
0: There's like 800 kings on this show.
1: Oh, that's um, Adora's dad. Oh. From He Man, yeah.
0: uh, My point stands. Yeah. The rabbit people had a king,
1: (laughs) and the mole
0: people had a king.
1: Yeah. Uh, one other thing about this episode, the animation was pretty good. Like, there's a lot of expressive stuff. Like, Cowl almost looked like Disney in his various facial expressions and stuff.
0: Yeah, my husband called that out. He was like, wait, there's an owl named Cowl, and it's animated just like Owl from Winnie the Pooh. And I was thinking, no, it doesn't usually look like that. Like, this is some pretty pretty quality stuff.
1: Which is interesting for an early episode. This is the eighth episode produced, so super early.
0: Yeah, the animation of this episode was something that I was really kind of tripping up over because we're still in that phase with human faces. Their bodies will stand still and then only their mouths will move, so everyone looks really stoic and still. But then there'll be a really like intricately animated moment and they, they balance each other out. I, I can imagine, again being a kid and getting really excited for that moment when the like epic She-Ra spin kick comes up because that is such a cool animation I love it every time (laughs) Looks
2: like there's a welcoming committee behind that door so I'd better make a new one Ready or not Here I come
1: She-Ra so let's let's kind of look at this from the top level which is why we're doing this both in terms of these episodes and in the larger world. So we have a world where everyone is super built and strong and muscular and mighty. In in your experience Brian, like how does that relate to kind of the real world where people have all these internal issues but don't all look like that? Like does the fantasy of their their physiques like break this for you? Do you think there's still some Some value in these lessons or do you just not buy it at all coming from uh, this fantasy world Ah, that's very funny
2: actually i think i do buy it because i think that they're so busy all the time fighting the horde that they're doing nothing but exercising and i'm sure they have a really wonderful diet in whatever this magical kingdom is so (laughs) even when they eat sweets the sweets somehow make them stronger so my hunch is that uh, that they're doing just fine to me it feels like um feels a little earned
1: feels like they're getting after it in good ways nice that's good. Uh do you do you buy like the the internality of their struggles? Like do you I, I don't know how I want to put this, like psychologically do these characters uh feel uh, approachable or like like relatable to you, even though they're like already these like Adonises who have clearly worked on themselves? <laughs> uh yeah, I guess the only one I really got
2: a picture of, I guess, was Bo, was it, <laughs> who was this guy here, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh poor guy. But I do <laughs> think that's um no, I, I definitely think that it's pretty easy for anyone's confidence to kind of get uh, shaken no matter what level you're at. And it takes a long time to learn that you can't draw that just by being better than other people. You have to draw it on being happy with what you're doing for your sake and for yourself. So, yeah, I, I that definitely, uh, definitely rung true. Um, sorrowful was a little maybe um, too far, but, uh, you know, I, I see what they were going for.
0: I really like what you had to say about there's always a bigger fish because I think that is a place in the real world where even people who from the outside seem to have it all can still really get down on themselves on the inside. Even if you have a supermodel body, someone's always a little taller than you. Someone's always a little thinner than you. Someone always has more gigs than you. Even if you're you're a bodybuilder, someone, you know is more built than you, has made more progress than you. Someone can always lift more. And so maybe to the average person, all of these people look like amazing Adonises, but you still have Bo, who at the end of the day, all it takes is one person who's done kind of his thing better than him. And what does he have after that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess one other question. I don't know if this was hugely objectionable, but I know there were groups in the 80s who felt that kind of the muscular presentation of He-Man in particular, but also She-Ra and these characters, was somehow damaging psychologically like it was an unrealistic expectation going back to like the charles atlas ads you know what do you think that like that's a like a relevant or present point or do you just dismiss objections like that outright
2: oh no that's actually really interesting i think that's still really true today right with instagram culture where you can see somebody on instagram who's some sort of model or some sort of maybe a fitness model entertainment model whoever and they're literally like presenting the best photo they took after 40 angles yes, and, and editing it. Right,
0: so amazing. Right,
2: exactly. And it's the same kind of thing with this kind of uh, ideas, you know, when they would throw that at Arnold in the 80s and stuff too. They didn't really show the hours he would spend working out, the like nine hours a day he would put in and how he would sneak away from the army in Austria to go like work out on tanks and stuff. Like he, you know, so um, I get that criticism. I understand where it's coming from because I do know what it's like to watch... And, you know, to feel like, oh, man, everyone's doing so much better than I am. And why can't I get those kind of results? But it's just a simple reminder that it takes some time and, you know, that these people have been fighting the hordes forever. So, you know, putting the work in.
0: It also doesn't really come up in the show. I think because everyone looks the same, there's not a lot of wallowing in that sort of lack of confidence. I mean, this this episode with Bo is kind of the first time we see it at all. But because generally the Rebellion is such a group of friends and they're so supportive of one another and they're so positive with everyone around them all the time, I feel like just watching this show, um, I don't find myself comparing myself to the characters because everyone in the universe looks this way and it's not a thing. Kind of the Instagram culture is the, the next step there is seeing the best version of people's lives in my reality and comparing it to my own reality, that's when the lack of confidence starts seeping in. But in this fantasy world, everyone looks like this. Yeah,
2: fantasy world with with magic. So who knows what how much of it is like just derived from just pure magic.
1: <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting because, so Lauren and I, our season premiere, we watched a documentary about the origins of He-Man toys. And one of the designers is like, yeah, we wanted him to be able to beat up Charles Atlas and, All this, like, hyper-masculine shit. And it just makes me think about how those same designers were criticizing Dolph Lundgren for not being strong enough in the live-action He-Man movie, which is just so absurd. Like, he was—these characters were crafted to be beyond reasonable, but I think when you put them in this narrative, like, that objection disappears, right? Because it's just who they are. It's just the world they live in. It's fine.
2: Yeah, I know Henry Cavill took a lot of grief for uh, when he was first cast as Superman because everyone's like, you're Superman. And someone had to kind of say like, hey, no matter what he does, he's not going to be faster than a speeding bullet or like <laughs> be able to stop trains.
0: Superman's not yeah. real, you guys. So it's
1: come on. Okay. Yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> That's true. None of this is real. As abstractions, it's all fine.
0: I actually got over a lot of that insecurity in the cosplay world, because you'll go to C2E2, which is coming up very soon, and you'll see men and women who really have gained the physique required to portray these characters. But anytime I look inwardly at myself and ask, am I really willing to do the amount of constant work that that would take for this goal? The answer is no. And the second I realized the answer is no for me personally, I stopped being jealous entirely. Because I'm clearly not going to try to do that. So anyone who does, great job. I'm proud of you.
1: I feel that about cosplay in general. The amount of work it takes is so impressive. I bow to you. Sure. Yeah, there's something very,
2: I felt, you know... I wouldn't say optimistic, but definitely very aspirational about the whole show and the whole theme about like, look at this fun fantasy world. And it does kind of remind me of what it's like. I know that this cynical could say that this was all just put together to sell toys, but it does just kind of feel like what it would be like to play with toys and come up with the story on your own spot. And so it gives you some good ideas and examples in that kind of sense.
1: I will say I'm guessing because so there's going to be a Netflix reboot um, coming sometime this year with Shira. Yeah.
0: Yes, that is why we're doing season two the, of this show. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and the comics creator Noel Stevenson is the showrunner, so I would bet. How much do I want to say? So if someone actually took me up on it, I wouldn't feel too bad. I would bet three hundred dollars that there will be more body diversity in, in the Noel Stevenson Shira that not everyone will be this built Adonis, but some people still will be. And maybe that'll be a plot point. We'll see.
0: Oh yeah, I completely agree. There's so much room with all of these uh, female, magical, elemental characters to make them look and feel and act a lot more differently than they do in the 80s version that I'm, I'm really excited and I'm also quite sure. So I can't bet against you,
1: I'm just talking about if listeners out there want to take that bet. Oh heavens! Yeah, and I heard Zack Snyder signed
2: on, and he's going to basically do 300, but with G-Raw. So. <laughs>
1: no. Oh, man. Well, I just lost 300 bucks. Uh, before we go, Brian, sometimes we do morals on this show, like in the cartoon. Do you have anything you want to impart to the good people about strength training? Or we'll first tell them where they can find your podcast besides Nerdlogs.com. Great, we're on
2: iTunes. We're also at averagestrength.com or at averagestrength on any of the social platforms. We got five episodes up and uh, more coming. So thanks, everybody.
1: Hell yeah! And is, are there any lessons you wanna you wanna give before we go?
2: Well, we talked a little bit about. There's always a bigger fish, so don't ever try to draw yourself worth because you're the the strongest guy in that gym, or you're the prettiest girl at that ball, or you're whatever the bravest dragon in this forest or whatever example you could be and purposely trying to choose a variety of examples i
0: was gonna say i haven't been to a ball in a long time
2: yeah i was trying to make it more fantastical but i, I do think that uh what we touched on a little bit that i would just reiterate is just like yeah i think that everything is is doable if you just kind of break it up into small parts and a little bit each day and a little and it'll help you know set some priorities and if that's something you really want to achieve you can do it And if not, you can still get a lot done by just, you know, making a consistent effort. So congrats to She-Ra.
0: Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.
1: We hope you learned in today's episode that strength training isn't just for meatheads. If you've got a young girl at home who wants to be a little more like She-Ra, or you know someone who does, check out Smart Fit Girls, a nonprofit run after-school program that helps adolescent women embrace their own strength and feel good about their bodies and themselves. At Current, this program is only available in three states, but you could even volunteer to run the program at a school in your neighborhood. For more information, visit smartfitgirls.org.
2: For the